The Joe Mays and J-Rap Show is brought to you in part by Mays Sandwich Shop, serving delicious hometown favorites to the West Lawn community since 1947. and J-Rap Show presents Tangents with Friends. Your source for pop culture. Geek News. Movies and television. Anything else? But no sports. And now here are your hosts, Joe Mays and friends. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Tangents with Friends. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Mays, here for episode 14. A full Star Wars smorgasbord is on the buffet table today. We're going to be discussing season two of The Mandalorian, which just wrapped up a little over a week ago with another eight episodes, and boy, was it a season. If you liked season one, I'm willing to bet you absolutely loved season two but of course i can't discuss this stuff with myself i need my partners in crime our two sitting guests as usual the brothers Berenthausen, brian and brent guys how are we doing doing good joey thanks for having us again this is the way <laughs> this <laughs> is the way and we're going to be diving into our discussion of the mandalorian which you know the last two episodes we've been star wars heavy as well discussing the infamous holiday special, which we plotted through over the course of uh, two episodes, uh, six weeks ago and about three weeks ago, and that was an experience. But in that, we got to see a Mandalorian in cartoon form, the debut of one Boba Fett. And if you've been keeping up with the Mandalorian, uh, those out there, obviously Brian and Brent have. Mr. Uh, Boba Fett, uh, a little bit of a return happening in the Disney Plus streaming show. And there's plenty of more where that comes from. Just a few weeks ago, Disney Plus had their investors panel and we were smacked upside the head with announcements for a plethora of Star Wars television shows and a movie coming over the next year, two, three, or even four or five years down the road. And we're going to get to all of those things, hopefully, unless Mandalorian Season 2 takes that long of a discussion to cover everything because obviously we have eight chapters to discuss some i'm sure we'll dive into longer than others but brian brent mandalorian season two 
just give uh, your your overall opinions and uh, just reflect on the season uh, in a few sentence fashion, if you will. Go ahead, Brian. Jeez, I mean, I don't know how to summarize it other than to say it was incredible. Um, I think the thing that really impressed me most about the first first season, and I guess then about the show in general, was just how how much latitude their the writers and directors are given to really just play with the canon, right? And sometimes with these shows, so let, let me put it let me put it this way. So like, uh, I used to watch professional wrestling, right? And professional wrestling is on on television. Uh, and, and it's on, there's an episode every week. And then there are these big pay-per-view events that are like the main events, like uh, superstar or SummerSlam and, 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 you know, WrestleMania and all that stuff. And whenever you'd watch TV, you would, are, you would know like, well, that person's not going to lose the fight because that would change. The title would change hands and the title will never change hands if it's not a pay-per-view or something like that. Right. You knew nothing big was going to happen. It was fun. But you knew nothing was going to really, the status quo wasn't going to change or anything because it's not a major event. Not the case in, in the Star Wars universe, right? You would expect that those television shows would like be feeders to the new movies in the, in the theaters. And so, you know, you'd have fun, things would go, but the, the status quo wouldn't change or anything. Not the case, which is why this show is so exciting to watch because anything can happen and they have carte blanche to play with canon to really dig deep into the characters lives um and to set some precedents to change things uh and, and they have access to primary characters as we learned this this season so that's what you know the second season showed me that like they're all in with this show and it is they're not dancing around the periphery of anything you're right in the heart of it this is on par with you know movie level star wars events that was an excellent, excellent overview and intro, Brian. Brent, what did you think of season two of The Mandalorian and uh, how things uh, linked to season one and what they were able to offer us during the past eight chapters? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything Brian said. I second all of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> I think the last thing he said was like how this is on par with the movies, and it really is. I mean, you watch an episode of um mandalorian and you see like the same quality as the last standalone film that we had which was the han solo in terms of the visuals and the story and everything like that in, in some ways story ways maybe even better than than those standalone than that standalone movie although i did like the solo movie quite a bit um the uh the the best way i could describe this season and i think this show and the way it's evolved this is i have a listen to a collector star wars collectors podcast and they they said it's almost like dave filoni and john favreau had a box of their toys from when they were kids they spilled it on the ground and just started playing and that's really the best thing i mean this is the last episode not to jump ahead here but the last episode of the season starts off with the 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 slave one chasing an imperial shuttle in space and you're right in the action like within the first one the first second of the of the show and it's like you've never seen these two things interact before but it's two toys that you had as a kid that you could just create with you know so in terms of the canon I, I think that's awesome what Brian said about them being able to explore the canon but then not only that but being able to explore all the ships and characters and aliens and creatures and everything that that exists in the universe and using them interchangeably, which is something that excites me, I think more than anything about the show. 
Yeah, and I yeah, love under, like the, under the pre-Disney Star Wars, you had sort of the movies, uh, and you had the ex- the expanded universe, right? So the comic books, the the novels, the the things that were expanded universe, and the expanded universe was always sort of like uh, like second class citizen, right? You, you know, nothing major really happened there. They told rich, deep background, but like if, if you didn't know it, it wasn't a problem. In in a post Disney era. If you don't, if you didn't read that comic or you didn't watch that movie, they don't care. Like you got to go watch it if you want to make sense of this episode. Like all the stuff is created equal. All the uh, different media, the comics, the books, the shows, the movies—they're all like uh, equally as important for setting the canon. And that's really exciting because it means you can engage with Star Wars in so many different ways. Like you know, under the old expanded universe, Chewie died. Right. Uh, there was a storyline where Chewbacca died in the book. Nobody knew that. Nobody cared. Um, and that was all obliterated when Disney took over. But now if a major character dies in a book, you've got to know that because it's going to it's going to have impacts in the in the cinematic part of the universe or the televisual part of the universe or whatever. And that's really exciting to me because um, you can kind of pick where you want to enter into it, and what your preference is for for engaging with Star Wars. And there's something for everybody. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And I think this is something that Star Wars maybe should have done right from the start, from its purchase and from Disney in 2015, which was really what we're seeing is 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 the Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe model of this this interconnected universe, and for you know Star Wars interconnected galaxy of of stories that you know for Star Wars can be even more than just TV shows and movies. Although that's the bread and butter has always been the, the movies. Um, but like you said, like the, the comics and the, and the books, which I don't do a ton of deep diving into that stuff, but you're right. You have to know everything, but it's, it's that, it's that Marvel comics, Marvel cinematic universe model now that we're seeing in star Wars. And I couldn't be more excited about how they're going to start to interconnect all these things. So, yeah. yeah. And you both brought up some good points there, Brent, um, going back to the first things you said was about the sandbox. So that's essentially what what it has been. Uh, I want to come back to that and touch on it because I think it leads into an interesting discussion. Um, some talking points surrounding um, the the dreaded term of fan service. That's something I think a lot of people have been talking about uh, over the last two months. Uh, but excellent points, Brian, about the expanded universe, the the previous iteration of what was out there, and we've touched on it in the past, saying how there was when it, it was all under you know Lucasfilm was run by George Lucas. There was multiple levels of canon, and one was more important than the others. I think it was three or four levels, and obviously the movies took precedent, and uh, the books kind of fell a a tier lower or two because George Lucas gave the okay for them to happen, but he didn't hold them in high regard. He used very little from those uh, books and, and comics and whatnot in his, you know, George Lucas canon. I think the biggest one, the one that got people really excited during um, the the prequel era was uh, some of some of the Jedi characters uh, made appearances that it, what he brought up. Um, from the expanded universe, but most of the time he just decided he could override or ignore it because, while well, it was his franchise. He could kind of do what he wanted. And then when Disney came along um, October 30th, 2012, and the announcement was official, uh, just within a, a year or two, they said, yeah, only the movies and the Clone Wars animated television show exist in our canon 
nothing else does, uh, but anything we make is canon. So they got rid of that expanded universe. But what we're seeing now is Lucasfilm cherry picking from that old expanded universe and bringing it into their new canon. And I think it's the best of both worlds. You couldn't, you, you couldn't exist with all that old EU stuff as you're introducing this franchise to new generation and new fans. There was just too much and a lot of it contradicted one another so i think the way disney handled it while a lot of people were upset about it because they love so much of the the eu now you're starting to see them roll it back in and i know that's the eu fan sees some vindication there that well they shouldn't have got rid of it in the first place well they got rid of it but it's coming back now because they admit those were good stories those were good characters but we need to have it all fit together and that is exactly what uh John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing with the Mandalorian. You're getting the best of both worlds. And now with the announcements of all those Disney plus shows coming, you're really going to see it explode. Uh, and a few of those EU or maybe secondary or on the fringe characters that were introduced outside of the movies are now they're in the broad spectrum. They're in the mainstream. Everyone knows about them. Um, and Brian, that was something that we touched on with you, Brett and I, because Brett and I have probably consumed a little bit more of the canon material from Disney that, than you and, and your wife have before watching The Mandalorian. And I was concerned, how do some people who haven't seen everything, maybe haven't seen all the Clone Wars or maybe haven't read some of the graphic novels or, 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 or the books that are out there, how was it seeing some of these characters I'm sure you've heard of, but didn't have a lot of exposure to? How did you handle their appearances in season two of The Mandalorian? Yeah, I'll admit I was a little I was a little confused um, because um, be, I, I didn't watch the I understand that uh, having watched the Clone Wars cartoon would have prepared me well for The Mandalorian because you get certain characters like Bo-Katan um, and and um, you get uh, what was the what was the imperial officer that she wants to get the, the saber from? I can't think of his name right now. The dark saber? You're talking about uh, yeah. Gideon? Gideon, Moff Gideon. Thank you. Moff, Moff Gideon, Gideon is a, a Mandalorian creation. That's he didn't exist outside of oh, the Mandalorian. Okay. Yeah, okay. so that's I not new part to of you. Was, no, was, no, that was the history new of the dark saber. Apparently, yes. is yep. a little bit mm -hmm. in, in Clone Wars. Um, but again, you know, if you're a longtime Star Wars fan you learn to deal with that ambiguity and let it unfold, right? So I didn't know who Bo-Katan was. I didn't know who some of the other, um, you know, Mandalorians were. I didn't know a lot of that backstory. But in 1977, when we watched the first Star Wars movie, we didn't know who Obi-Wan Kenobi was. We didn't know his backstory. We didn't know how he related to the other characters. We just had to assume he was on that planet. He was a hermit that lived there. And, and this is how it works, right? So you just have to kind of let it, let it unfold uh, and assume those prior relationships. But the great part about the universe is if you want to know more there, I'm sure there's a book or an episode or a show that's going to flesh out, you know, that relationship um, and you can go watch it. But it, it, I would say that while it was maybe a little um, arresting at first, it didn't diminish our enjoyment of the second season of Mandalorian at all. I, I wouldn't say. Because um, we're used to watching Star Wars. We, we watched it together for years and years and years. You just kind of know like, oh, here's a new person. Interesting. Uh, and then you go with it. Brent, well, what about um, what about Katie for you? Did uh, Brent 
And Katie, I know, Brent, obviously you had some exposure to many of these characters, but what did Katie think while you guys watched it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, she won't watch the episodes with me (laughs) unless I've watched it once first. (laughs) Because I get a little excited when I watch it. So if I'm like, if I like stand up suddenly or I make a sound or whatever, she gets a little crazy, crazy. Um, So I watch it first thing in the morning on Fridays, typically when, you know, or if I, if I'm not uh, working on that day, and um, and so I I was able to watch um, watch them mostly you know Friday morning or, or late Friday morning or Friday early afternoon, and she and I would typically watch Friday night or Saturday night. Um, she she wasn't confused. Um, uh, there was times where I had to be like that's a that's a Clone Wars character or whatever, but she didn't really need to know. And I think this is something I mentioned to you guys before we were texting back and forth. Is like the good thing about this show is that. Din Djarin, the Mandalorian himself, is quite a sheltered Mandalorian, as we've learned. The Amish Mandalorian, in that he doesn't <laughs> know anything about who Bo-Katan is either. He doesn't know who Boba Fett is. He doesn't know really anything outside of his his, his uh, religious bubble. doesn't know anything about him. So, you know, you're learning about those characters through his eyes, somebody that doesn't. So they kind of, it gives them a, an excuse to explain kind of who they are in the show, which is great for anybody sitting down. If somebody's experiencing Star Wars for the first time through the Mandalorian, they're probably going to be a little confused, but um, not nearly as as if uh, as much because of because of the Mandalorian and how how he's learning about these uh, ideas for the first time. You know, obviously the show means a lot more if you've seen some things Star Wars before this has happened, it's even just the movies, right? Because you still have characters like Jawas in it and Tusken Raiders and things like that. Um, that referenced the old trilogy and stuff, but um, yeah, that's. I, I don't think Katie was really that confused. She know she knew kind of knew who Ahsoka Tano was, but didn't really know. You know, never saw any of the cartoons, so it wasn't like she knew the story behind her. She just knew that she was at, at one point a Jedi. Okay. So. Good, good. And that's good to hear as I'm getting, I'm ramping up uh, to watch the series with Kelly. We watched the first, I think, five episodes of season one and then trailed off and weren't able to revisit it. But now we're going to be doing that hopefully in the next week or two, starting middle of season one and then continuing through season two. And uh, she's in the same boat as uh, as your wives, not having a lot of exposure to the, the fringe characters or the non-movie characters. Obviously, she's seen the 11 movies that are out there. So she's well aware of, of those, but ah- Ahsoka, you know, other than me talking to my daughters about it, Kelly doesn't have any familiarity with Ahsoka, uh, especially Bo-Katan uh, a- a- and the like there. But I-, I think all those characters, like you said, Brent, were, it was so well done because you're you're, the audience is learning because Din doesn't know either. And that, that's a great, you know, a p- perfect uh, plot device for them to use that Din has been, like you said, so sheltered that he's learning and it helps cue the audience that hasn't consumed all of the other media that's out there. And I think, you know, when I first heard they were going to make a Mandalorian show, I was like, why the heck are they doing this? Why don't they just make a Boba Fett show? You know what I mean? Because everybody just wants a Boba Fett show anyway. Everybody's been asking for it for years. But now to my now that I know, now that I've seen the show, I totally get why they did it. They could kind of clear the slate and tell the story without having to do all this. Like Boba Fett is kind of restricted. He has a history with Star Wars. Din Djarin really up to this point doesn't have a history just of Star Wars. So we're, we're they're not 
restricted with the types of stories they can tell because they're not in the Boba Fett universe at, for this show. Now they're going to be obviously um, coming up, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. So let's dive in um, a l- chapter by chapter. We don't have to spend a lot of time here and there. I know there's a major one we want to get to at the end. Chapter 16, I think was one of the best moments in star Wars history. People really, really enjoyed the conclusion to uh, season two, but let's start back at the beginning, the day before Halloween, on the eight-year anniversary of Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilm and all their properties, we got the season two debut with chapter nine titled The Marshal. It was written, directed by John Favreau, and we get sort of a Boba Fett tease almost immediately as we end up back on uh, Tatooine to start season two, but it's all a little bit of a diversion because we immediately realize that it is not actually Boba Fett wearing Boba Fett's armor, but it is one Cobb Vanth. And as we just discussed the, the media franchise, the media empire that Lucasfilm and and Disney have um, surrounded star Wars with Cobb Vanth is a book character. He comes from the aftermath series by Chuck Wendig uh, set in this time period after return of the Jedi. So it's a perp, Uh, a very good use of the extended family of star Wars to bring him in. Uh, And it it was a lot of fun to see Timmy, Timothy Oliphant portray Cobb Vanth. And we get a lot of good action in this, a lot of uh, good uh, Tatooine star Wars throwbacks. And we get to see a live action quote debut of the crate dragon. What did you guys think of the first episode of this season? Go ahead, Brian. Well, uh, I mean, it, it just it kicks off in full force. It, it, it was awesome uh, to watch. Uh, I, again, I didn't have the background. I have the Aftermath series here, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but it was great to see. But again, all the little the, what was cool about this episode was the way that it um, out of the gate tried to tried to blend all uh, trilogies together, right from the little. Uh, from the from the creek dragon as a primary plot point, which we only heard, I guess, the noise right before. That was what uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. That's the noise he makes to scare the Tusken Raiders away. And, right, which has been so changed forth. a few times. Um, but also, uh, you know, Cobb Vanth. That was the guy that used uh, Anakin's uh, pod racer engine, right? Yes. As his vehicle. Yes. Right. So he had salvaged. He had salvaged and put together a speeder from old junk he found around Tatooine, and one of the things was the engine for. Anakin Skywalker's pod racer, right? So like you've got these neat little um, mechanisms for tying all the trilogies together, which is awesome. I mean, and, and, and that was apparent from the, from right from the start, which really endears uh, Star Wars fans to the series. I mean, there's no better way to do it than those little, you know, those little goodies, those little Easter eggs. Yeah. They have a great allusion to the crate dragon pearl, which I believe is also from the comic book series. That's something I believe was touched on in the comic book. I don't know if it was, you know, the, the new current canon or something from the old canon brought in, but I know that Crate Dragon Pearl that the Tuscans pull out is from part of that, the extended um, aspect of Star Wars. So just a really cool moment all around. Very, it was a longer episode, one of the longest of the series as a whole. A great way to kickstart it with a, a well-known actor portraying Cobb Vanth seeing Boba Fett's armor. But of course, that was the only wasn't the only part of Boba Fett we get. Where at the end, after 
uh, Dejarin and the child are uh, heading off into the Tatooine sunset. We see that someone's watching him and turning around is Tamora Morrison portraying what we assume at the time is Boba Fett. And we get that um, confirmation later on. So, you know, like Brennan said, why are we getting a random Mandalorian show? Why aren't we just getting a Boba Fett show? Well, here we are at the beginning of season two and Boba Fett is in the Mandalorian. And we've got a lot more coming from the Fett man. And like Brent mentioned, Slave One making its debut in episode, or excuse me, of season two of The Mandalorian as well. So anything else, Brent, do you want chime in about anything from this, uh, this season opener? Yeah, I like how Brian mentioned how this is like, it ties, because you see, it ties everything together, because you see that he, when he tell, when, when Cobb Vanth tells the story and you see like the, the hologram of the second Death Star exploding and then the, those, uh, whatever, uh, troopers come into that bar that they're in. And I, I think this is something I should have mentioned at the beginning of, of, of the episode in terms of tying things together. I think the reason this ties things so well together is because it really fits so, so perfectly in the middle of everything that we've seen so far. Like it calls back to the original trilogy it can call back as far as, as we've seen to, um, to, to the clone wars. Right. But also you can see, and we'll talk about this in further episodes, how it's foreshadowing, to the first order and to how the development of the first order and all that stuff. So it really is kind of sitting in this sweet spot where fans of the people that prefer the, the, the prequel trilogy are, are getting their fix and people that prefer the original trilogy are getting their, their visuals and so forth. And people that are really want to learn more about that time frame setting up the, the, the sequel trilogy are learning about how this stuff kind of happened. So I agree with him. And, and I think that's, that's why I think it sits perfectly in the timeline here uh, with that stuff. But yeah, this, this was a fun way to kick off the season. I thought, and we thought this was like, Holy moly. And then of course we got way more Holy molies <laughs> to, to come down, down the line. So yeah, this was an, an excellent start to season two. Everyone was just ecstatic f- with all the, Tatooine aesthetic and everything related to it and then the tease of Boba Fett and just so much happening the the next episode chapter 10 the second episode of season two I think for a lot of people was a, a little bit of a letdown just because we get the tease of Boba Fett and all that action and this one is is a little bit different it was directed by Peyton Reed who's going to pop up again in a little bit and released on November 6th uh, but we get a um Din gets tasked with taking a passenger somewhere. Uh, all in all, all, this is setting up his quest to find a Jedi to help with the ch- the child. And they're just going on these side quests to get to that point. People didn't like that the season was taking so long to kind of get rolling, despite the coolness that was Chapter Nine, The Marshal. This one here in Chapter Ten, a lot of people felt just kind of. They were spinning their wheels a little bit, but you got some really cool things happening. Um, you know, you get go back to the cantina. Um, we get to see Pelimoto again. She's playing Sabak with this really awesome character, Doctor Mandible. Um, uh, it's just a really cool introduction. But then we see that the passenger um, is referred to as Frog Lady. I'm not even sure they've come up with a species or a name for her, uh, but she is carrying her 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 unfertilized eggs and she would like to reunite with frog lady or excuse me frog husband frog man uh frog guy whatever we're calling him and uh din decides that to uh take this quest because 
they'll be able to help. So they're trying to get to Trask. And of course, along the way, things get a little bit dicey as they are intercepted by New Republic X-Wings. And we get to see uh, Dave Filoni return in his X-Wing fighter. Of course, they crash land uh, and we get uh, something straight out of arachnophobia which uh, was a little disturbing. I know um, Brian Kate messaged us and said that that was a very uh, frightening episode of The Mandalorian when this one came out. Yeah, she's not a fan of uh, <laughs> of uh, spiders, let's say. And so, uh, and we watched this before bed. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that not not great uh, great timing there with the spiders. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. There's not too much else to really say about this. Obviously, uh, we see the uh, the Razor Crest crash land trying to get away from the X-Wings, and that's where the spiders come into play because uh, the child can't stop eating everything. Besides the unfertilized eggs, he also uh, grabs one of these pods and, and snacks it down, and it ends up being a uh, baby spider pod, and that wakes everyone up. And spiders of all sizes start chasing Din the child and frog lady back to the razor quest. And you think that razor crest and you think they're about to end. And then our X-wing pilots show up, uh, trapper wolf and Carson Tiva. Uh, and they have basically done their homework on the Mandalorian. And because he attempted to save one of their, uh, one of the new Republic guys back in season one on the, on the, um, correctional transport, they decide not to take him in, but they also don't help him with repairs or anything. They rescue him from the spiders and they decide to move on. And uh, that's where we're left. The, the, uh, the Razor Crest is beat up, but they're heading towards Trask and Chapter 11, which this one, this one had me really excited. And boy, did it deliver. Chapter 11 called The Heiress. Can was... I say one thing, though? Oh, yeah, right sure. Chapter, Go, absolutely. Uh, yeah, dive right in. The one thing I just thought was cool about that episode, first of all, it wasn't a major episode in terms of plot development, but it was in terms of character development. And they brought, they, you learned a lot more about, uh, you know, like you said about the New Republic and, and his uh, relationship with them. But the one thing I thought was cool is that those spider creatures were actually original Ralph McQuarrie design. I think maybe you mentioned that, but they were originally designed by Ralph McQuarrie for Empire, I believe, not to be on a, on a, on a, like a like a Hoth planet, but to be on Dagobah, they originally intended to be on Dagobah. So there's uh, artwork that you can see from Macquarie where you see these giant spider creatures, almost that it depicted it entirely the same as you see in Episode Ten um, of Mando. So I thought that was kind of cool how they're still drawing from his drawings, right? They're still kind of going back to the well. The, the Macquarie well and, and, and still using some of those ideas because they're still relevant. They're still, they're still, you know, masterfully done. And you do see sp spiders. If they're not exactly the same, they're very similar to ones that are on star Wars rebels. You see um, oh, okay. those spiders yeah. on star Wars rebels, but again, inspired by Macquarie concept, like Brent mentioned. So chapter 11, the heiress Directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, coming back from her directorial debut in Star Wars from season one. And this episode was probably until the last episode. This was my favorite of the season because it just felt 
I, I just love how much it was bringing in from other aspects of canon, especially the Clone Wars, because here in Chapter 11, we get introduced to Bo-Katan and her other Mandalorian sidekicks, and it was excellent, excellent all-around episode, so well done. Once again, we see the Razorcrest land and promptly fall right into the, the sea. It is then rescued by essentially a AT-AT crane, which was awesome. We then see the Mandalorian sit down in a bar filled with Mon Cal, who directs them to Corrin, you know, and obviously if you've seen the Clone Wars, you know, those two races are always fighting with one another, but the Corrin take Mando out to sea with the child. And of course, all they want is the Beskar, not the child. They don't seem to care about the child. They don't know about the child, but they want his Beskar. And there's a really cool monster scene where the child actually gets swallowed whole. Uh, we have to see Mando rescue him. And then he himself needs rescuing. And then that is where we get Bo-Katan dropping in uh, in just epic fashion, taking care of the the corn henchmen and... Uh, they uh, dispatch the Mamacore monster, and we get to meet Bo-Katan's sidekicks, Axe Woves, and Casca Reeves. Uh, just really, really cool moments. We, we hear more discussion about old Mandalore and the Mandalorian ways. He doesn't want to go with them because they remove their helmets. That's a, you know still a big no-no for Din. They talk about him, Din, being the child of the Watch, which is either Death Watch from the Clone Wars or a spinoff related to Death Watch. So there's just so much world building, so much outside stuff being brought in. Um, and this episode was was very well done. And of course, we get the epic battle on the Imperial ship at the end, played by uh, an excellent uh, commander for... Uh, the Imperials. I, I don't know the actor's name, but it was so very well done. Stormtroopers everywhere. And uh, we hear Bo-Katan mention the Darksaber and we get our first look this season of Moff Gideon. So all great stuff here in the Eris. What did you guys think of uh, Chapter 11? Rank can go first this time. Yeah, I thought this was awesome. I mean, it's definitely like a uh, a pivotal moment in the in the season in terms of Din starting to learn about man I'm different type of Mandalorian than or there's other Mandalorians out there that don't think the same way that I do um, which you start to really learn more about about his sect and other sects of Mandalorians um, and I which I think is cool because it definitely builds on that later on in the season and I think it's the beginning of a of a thought process change from the for Mando for the rest of the season he starts to learn that hmm, maybe the the way I'm thinking is you know just different than than others so it's cool man I I, I thought this this is probably one of my top three episodes of the season um just because I, li I like the Quarrens too I like the Mon Cows and how they use that again they're just using those action those action figures from their collection to play with and which is kind of cool it's like let's just throw these in there and and they do it so well. So, yeah, bravo to them. Yeah, not much more to add to that from this one. I think, um, you know, this is just, for me, this one was sort of about the, the pacing, right? Like, a, as Joey, as you mentioned, the previous episode was a little bit more sort of not, it was a little slower, not as, you know, 
pew, 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 bang, bang, bang. You know, there was a lot of fighting and there was the chase and everything, but it just wasn't as this, this has got, this felt more like a star Wars um, episode. Uh, and of course you look, you know, I think what Brent said is absolutely true. The key here is to understand more of the Mandalorian as uh, as a race of people. Right. Uh, and to understand like sort of their credos and uh, values and ethics uh, and how they, they clash. And, you re- and, and I think, Jin is starting to learn like now that he's out in the world, things are not as black and white as his upbringing would have uh, him believe, right? There are, um, you know, shades of gray and he has to learn when he can make the, uh, when he can make uh, sacrifices and when he wants to hold his ground. Uh, And, you know, he sees that in Bo-Katan, what she'll do and what she won't do. And I think he has to learn that as he goes through the, the season and you see him reckoning with that a lot of times. So, um, that starts here. Yeah. And like I said, the chapters named the heiress and obviously that's talking about Bo-Katan because she is the, what she views as the rightful ruler of Mandalore. She wants to reunite the Mandalorian, uh, people. And, uh, she thinks she has earned that right to the throne because she was related to the most recent, uh, empress of Mandalore, um, Satine, uh, from the Clone Wars. She's searching for the Darksaber, though, because that's what's something that will really reunite everyone, and that's supposed to be the leader of Mandalore is in possession of the Darksaber, and she does not have it right now. She had it before, uh, it, during uh, Rebels. She doesn't have it now. Moff Gideon has it, and that's who she is searching for. But, of course, Din isn't searching for Moff Gideon, not at the moment, at least. He's searching for a Jedi. And during this chapter, we get a huge name drop when... Bo-Katan says that she and her Mandalorians will help Din by telling him where to take the child to find a Jedi. And she doesn't just beat around the bush. She flat out says it. Go to Caladon and meet with Ahsoka Tano, which was just huge, um, huge name drop because... She is the lead character, the main character in Star Wars The Clone Wars. She's a Dave Filoni creation, and we're finally going to get to see her in live action. But of course, in true Star Wars fashion, we'd have to wait for that to happen because, of course, they can't make it happen the next week. We get the name in Chapter 11, but we don't get to see Ahsoka until Chapter 13. And in between there, we have Chapter 12, The Siege, where we go back to... um, Oh, what's the name? Navarro. And we get to see for the first time this season, Carl Weathers and Gina Carano's characters, Grief Karga and Cara Dune. And uh, this was an interesting episode. I think it was one that a lot of people, there was a lot of action to it, but I don't think a lot of people uh, were as fond of it in the grand scheme of season two as a whole uh, after the fact, but during it was very exciting. I I love the, the Imperial facets of it. You know, we get the speeder bikes, we get the tie fighters, we get stormtroopers, and uh, we get to see the original clan from season one back together, which is a lot of fun. And um, we get some fun child moments and, and all that. But the, the best part of this is right there at the end after they, uh, take down this uh, Imperial Depot, which is a, a lot more important than Grief Karga believed, we find out that there's a lot going on with cloning related to this facility. They mention the child's M count, a, a direct mention, sort of, of midichlorians. 
we get to see Dr. Pershing from season one, the cloning doctor. And we um, also get a glimpse of what Moff Gideon is up to with the Dark Troopers, which eventually were confirmed to be Dark Troopers. And those are brought right in from Star Wars Expanded Universe of old. So, guys, Brian, let's start with you this time. What did you think of this chapter, Chapter 12, The Siege? This was, apart from the last episode, I was really surprised to hear you say this was, uh, uh, there were mixed reactions. This was my favorite episode of the season. Okay. Um, save for the last one. Um, I just felt like this was classic Star Wars from start to finish. It had tinges of old and new. It had, you know, stuff, iconography you would recognize immediately, like the, you know, had stormtroopers and Imperial officers, and there was M count talk. And like, it was just, it was it was just perfect. It was a perfect, it was a perfect like star Wars, uh, encapsulation. Um, and I also really liked seeing the faces of people from episode or from season one rather, but I have to, but like even more important to me was like, it's important that star star Wars, like the underlying, like one of the underlying themes that you always have to have your posse. You always have to have your, your group. You have to have your friends. Nobody does anything really on their own or, can't really do anything on their own. They've got to have their friends. They've got to have their backup. Uh, and so the Mandalorian is no different. Like he's the gunslinger and he has to go and get, and get help. Right. And, and, and who does he go to? He goes to, you know, his, his, his friends from, from season one. And that to me is so much of the star Wars, like ethos is, is you have to have your friends. You have to have your, your crew to do it to succeed in, in the galaxy. And uh, it's only through the help of others. It's only through the help of your friends and your confidants that you get, that you get anywhere uh, and through the trust that you show each other. And that's what this episode is really all about. Um, and I loved it. Plus it, it, it included uh, Carrie Bean, which is, you know, probably my favorite character from Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, could, couldn't say enough about this episode. I, I, I want to watch it again and again. Yeah, I want to be clear. That's not me saying it. It's just of the earlier episodes, this was one that people were dogging on the most. Uh, obviously, the, the the one with the spiders was the one that, that people, I think, really were, I think, unsettled with because it's disturbing uh, seeing giant, giant spider-like creatures. But also, they thought it was a little slow and didn't really serve much of the plot but like you guys mentioned there's a lot of character development that happens in nearly every episode but i agree this fourth episode of season two the siege was a lot of fun and i love all the imperial uh, aspects of it uh brent what did you think of the siege yeah i think the re i think just to kind of jump on what you're saying about the reason i think that some fans were just like oh this is filler is because they got that ahsoka tano tease in the previous episode and they don't have patience they don't have patience to wait yet another week for ahsoka so they're anything that doesn't have ahsoka if they tease ahsoka you know they're gonna freak out and they're, they just don't have the patience i mean we had boba fett in episode one and we didn't get him again until later on in the season so um they do a good job of kind of kind of holding out on you for some of this stuff um I agree. This is one of the few episodes in the in, in the season that I got done watching and then immediately started watching it again, um, just because it, it, the action in this. And I believe Carl Weathers, maybe you mentioned this, Carl Weathers directed this episode. I did, did mention yeah. it, but that is correct. And, uh, yeah. I mean, the action's just classic 1980s action from Carl Weathers. I mean, it's it's amazing. And and it, I think the action is so Return of the Jedi in this one. Like, it's just so cool. And them going, driving that speeder through that canyon and the TIE fighters coming in. And I mean, it's just really good, clear, 
fun Star Wars, which is what we watch, want to see when we watch the show. Give me more of it, right? Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. And of course, the cloning aspect of this, sorry, real quick, the cloning aspect of this, I was just like, there it is. And I think that's what you see in that thing. I think that's what we're told, like kind of led to believe, and especially later on, that's the beginning of Snoke, which is why I said it's cool that they're starting to foreshadow to the cloning of of Snoke and, and uh, the, the dark side um, acolytes or the dark side users. So yeah, yeah, pretty cool how they tie all that stuff together. Still we're making an action packed eighties, uh, you know, thriller. So, yeah. Cool. I think Carl Weathers did a great job and I really love grief Karga. I wish we would have got to see more of him this season. Hopefully he'll be back for season three in about a year or so from now. But like Brian said, Cara Dune is one of my favorites, so I'm glad we got to see a, an episode with her here early on. And of course, we get her later on as well. But just so much going on, a very fun episode. Maybe didn't push the main plot along, but you got to see some great action and some great uh, Star Wars iconography. Uh, and w- what one of our um, favorite podcasts that Brett and I listen to, the Star Wars Underworld, they they say these episodes, please don't call them filler, just call them table setters they're just setting the table for something else that's coming in the future you you can't always focus on the main plot you'll get there too quickly there's always going to be something else that has happened on the side and it's usually to help with character development and that's what we're getting in some of these you know quote side quests we're getting uh, changes in din or even in the child or some of these uh, these side characters in grief karga and cara dune because we see at the end of this episode cara dune contemplating sort of quasi returning to the new republic she's still on her own becoming a marshal but she you know is going back to her rebellion roots so that was the first half of the season, all the way through uh, chapter 12. We're now on to chapter 13, which was a big one, one that everyone was waiting for, because once it was announced that this chapter of the show was directed and written by Dave Filoni, everyone knew that we were going to get the live-action debut of Ahsoka Tano, and that happened in chapter 13, aptly tired, titled The Jedi. So the fifth episode, like I said, all Dave Filoni, and we do get to see immediately, no waiting this time, the appearance of Ahsoka as she is just uh, taking down uh, people on Caladon on the planet of Corvus. And uh, she's doing it in incredible, um, with incredible uh, stealth. Um, she's very, very um, brutal which is something we didn't always see, especially from her on the Clone Wars, but we get to see her attacking um, these in, these inhabitants. And uh, it was gr- just great off the bat. We get a lot of awesome Ahsoka moments in this show, in this episode, especially towards the end with the battle um, going after the magistrate and uh, her, her right-hand man. Um, but we, of course, we have to get a team up here between Ahsoka and Din, and Din gets to talk to her about the child. And well, we get one huge revelation. Brent, why don't you let everyone know what we find out about the child in chapter thirteen? You find out the child's name, which is Grogu, in this episode. So, guys, were you? caught off guard by getting the name drop like that kind of unannounced. And what did you think of the name when it was stated? 
I thought it was a perfect way for them to introduce the name of, of the child, how the child kind of told uh, Ahsoka telepathically uh, his name, which I thought was really, really cool. And they had to eventually kind of build the, build the character of that baby Yoda too, because it was so mysterious for so long. And then all of a sudden you're learning more about, <laughs> about him, you know, and his past. And you learn about um, how he was uh, part of the Jedi temple in Coruscant. So there's history back to the Clone Wars and, and, the, and the, the prequel trilogy. And then uh, one of my favorite moments is when Ahsoka references Yoda. You hear a snippet of the Yoda theme in the background as she's mentioning him, uh, which is amazing musical um, motive there to, to, to interject. Uh, just the, it, it was a beautiful moment because you, you see them in that wooded area with the sunset. It was, uh, it was amazing. It was a really, really cool cool way of doing it and if, if, i'm not sure if you guys started look, watching the gallery yet but it was the one episode of the season that george lucas was on set during that moment and he got to hold baby yoda and see uh as you mentioned is a dave filoni creation is ahsoka but it's also a george lucas creation of ahsoka so he got to be there to witness the the live action creation of one of his characters as well brian what about you what do you think of uh the name drop of grogu i loved it i loved it because not one of the one of the things you run into you, you have the you have the, the tendency to run into with TV shows is that because they're shorter, everything ends on like an epiphany or a cliffhanger, and those those come like really, really fast, right? Every thir- every forty minutes, every fifty minutes, or when you really pace it out, it's different from a movie. Not everything can can be or should be like a huge buildup and a huge, I don't reveal and a, a big, you know, I don't know, just. I love it. I love it. You know, it's just, just slipped in there. It's sort of like in, in a new hope, like, uh, yeah, we fought in the clone wars. We didn't hear about that for 20 some years. Right. Like, and, and it just mentions it, right. It's no build up. There's no, um, I don't know. It, there, it was great. Uh, not everything has to be a, a huge, a huge ordeal. And I thought that was, was really good. And I think the name Grogu is, is perfect. Um, depending on how, the child plays into the history of whatever we learn is the species name. Um, you know, that, that Yoda clearly is that I guess Lucas never wanted there to be another sort of Yoda. I, I thought, I remember reading many, many years ago that like Yoda was supposed to be unique. Well, he broke his um, own rule when he introduced Yaddle anyways. So, well, that's what I thought. Yeah. And then there's Yaddle and who, and, and, you know, and so Yoda, Yaddle, Grogu, like this, it, it fits that sort of, uh, fits that sort of theme there's no last name or anything right um there's some people that think in a way it's sort of i don't know i'm not sure it's exactly a portman too of george lucas if you mix around some letters yeah yeah that it was they're they're playing around a little tongue-in-cheek or a little bit on the nose um, but I mean, it's yeah. fine. I like it. it. It caught me off guard. It's not what I was expecting. I honestly thought they might go with another Y just to keep the trend, but I think it, it, it fits. I think it works. Uh, it is one of yeah. the main reasons that I'm getting Kelly to watch the show because I referenced the name and she's just like, I don't understand. I was like, well, you got to watch the show. You got, you, you got to take it all in. I'm not going to ruin this for you. I yeah, want to so see her I reaction wonder, to the I last wonder if So he's about 50 years old, right around 50. Yeah. At this point, right? So I, I'm I'm wondering about his age versus the age of Ahsoka Tano when she's introduced here, or you know, in in this series. Because when you watch the Clone Wars, which I have these I have seen, she's quite young. She's Anakin's Padawan. She's rather young. Yeah. But 
I'm guessing that she and Grogu are probably close to the same age, which means they've kind of grown up around the yeah, same yep, yep. Sort of arc of the arc of the Star Wars universe. So, you know, Grogu will be interesting to see where Grogu fits into if they ever go back and and uh, retcon him into uh, the the Clone Wars at all. But I also wonder what this is going to be like for the the species that Grogu uh, ends up up being. Right? I mean, you don't hear any. He's fifty years old and he can't speak. Right? He doesn't. He's pre linguistic. Um, that's a long time to not develop language. And I, I, I was wondering as I watched this if that species just doesn't you doesn't ha, doesn't have the capacity for language in the way that others in the Star Wars universe do, uh, because it, it would explain Yoda's uh, messed up syntax and his always his inability to string together a sentence in in intergalactic common or whatever they call the English language. Basic. You know, maybe he, he he struggles with his English or something. I don't know, but like. I was thinking about it the other day. Like, I wonder if that, if that'll just be part of the Star Wars universe, if that's not really a linguistic species. Yeah. It's an interesting aspect that they introduce. And it's something that we could see, um, you know, really on screen in season three or season four. Uh, it's something that we could be coming down. Cause a lot of rumors are saying we're going to get a time jump. We're going to see a few years pass between season two and season three. Um, we'll see what happens, but maybe we'll see a slightly older Grogu and under the tutelage of, uh, someone I won't name yet as we haven't gotten to that episode. Um, it'll be interesting to see where, uh, Grogu's at and, uh, how much we'll see of him in season Three, But the last thing that I want to mention here before moving on is we get an epic battle between Ahsoka and the Magistrate. Uh, we get the introduction of the Beskar Spear, uh, which is very important later on in the season. And of course, Ahsoka gets the, the better of her, but Ahsoka is interested in some information and you're waiting for her to talk about, you know, Moff Gideon or the Darksaber. Oh no, that's not who Ahsoka is concerned about finding. She wants to find... Grand Admiral Thrawn. You know, we've been talking about bringing in the expanding universe. Obviously, Grand Admiral Thrawn is probably the number one person you think of, um, at least non-Sith Lord from the EU, is Grand Admiral Thrawn. And the Dark Troopers, and then they brought those in too. So. <laughs> yeah, and the Dark Troopers. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, they're bringing in, like, the greatest hits are all being incorporated. And, of course, all of those other Darths from... Um, like Darth Revan, Darth Malak, uh, Darth Nihilus, all those Darths that are out there in the EU, um, very close to being brought into canon, some already through Clone Wars, others were in deleted aspects of the Rise of Skywalker. So they are definitely tempting, uh, they're very tempted to bring those into canon. But here we get another mention of Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's obviously already been brought into the Disney canon via Rebels, huge, huge um, important person in Rebels. And he also has his own book series, which I think is now onto, I believe, book four in the new Thrawn series is coming out in the next year or so. But we get it name dropped here, and it's, we seem destined to see Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action because chapter five of season two of The Mandalorian is essentially a backdoor pilot for one of the new Disney Plus shows aptly named Ahsoka. So uh, Rosario Dawson, who I thought did a phenomenal job portraying a live action version of uh, Ahsoka Tano has her own series coming in around a year, maybe 18 months. I don't know that there's an actual debut date listed yet, but we're going to see more of Ahsoka uh, 
in her own show, which is great. And that's going to most likely be very focused on the search for Grand Admiral Thrawn, which directly ties back to Star Wars Rebels. All right. So now we move into the final three episodes of The Mandalorian's second season. And boy, these uh, really got things moving along. Chapter 14 was known as the tragedy. And as soon as that flashed up on the screen, I immediately felt very anxious and very nervous for what was about to happen. We saw some very cool aspects at the beginning of this episode, including Din talking to Grogu and saying his name and seeing how he reacted. It just kind of blew Din's mind that that was his name all along. And he, he does understand. And uh, it, it was it's a very fun exchange. And then we see... Din and the child, or excuse me, Grogu, fly down to the place that Ahsoka told him to go. So there is no side quest. They're not going off on an adventure before getting to this place. Uh, they go right to Tython. Again, another aspect from the Expanded Universe coming into play here in uh, The Mandalorian. And they want uh, Din to put Grogu on, um, I believe they refer to it as a seeing stone, Grogu can activate it and kind of send out a, a force message into the universe and uh, force wielders can latch on and um, will we'll come for the child and hopefully Din can fulfill his quest of reuniting Grogu with a Jedi. But of course, well, we would think Sith would be able to hear it too, but we don't get that touched on much this season. But as soon as Grogu gets put on the stone, a familiar vehicle comes in on the screen and Brent why don't you take us through the next uh, few moments of chapter 14 the tragedy after Grogu goes on the seeing stone yeah then of course you get uh one of the greatest most famous ships in Star Wars history the slave one flies in and as soon as I saw it I was like here we go we finally get our Boba Fett after the first episode where we're Obviously, get lots of his armor, and we get a little tease of him, the man himself. Um, we get him to come in, and uh, you know, at that point, you know, Din is like, "We got, we got to go, Grogu. We got, we got to get out of here." But, but it's too late. You know, Grogu is already on the Seeing Stone, uh, the Force Stone. He's trying to communicate, and he has got a force field around him. So he goes down and tries to. Din goes down and tries to investigate what's going on, um, and. Uh, Gets in a little scuffle with uh, Boba Fett. You learn about Boba Fett, and um, uh, then you realize that they start to uh, they come to a truce. And, and I think he realizes that you know, give me my give me my um, you know my my armor back, and I'll you know help you out. So uh, th this episode to me was was super cool. I don't know if again if you guys watched any of the behind the scenes stuff with with this episode, the guy that directed it or anything like that, but. It seems like he was a real fan of Boba Fett and you get to really see Boba Fett. Then when the troopers come in, you get to those drop ships of troopers that come in. Um, you, you get to really see Boba Fett in crazy action um, that you don't really, you haven't really seen him before in any, um, any of the movies uh, with the, with the, with the knee darts in action, the, the firing Boba Fett backpack and everything. Um, of course, this episode does have one major tragedy and uh, that it is uh, the, the 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 demise of the Razor Crest. Um, that the uh, the Empire destroys the Razor Crest with one big blast, um, and they realize then later that 
Uh, Boba Fett comes to the realization later in the episode that the Empire is back, he says. So, all right. Yeah, so we get the destruction of the Razor Crest. Um, but before that, you mentioned the arrival of Boba Fett. Uh, he also brought along a pal. Fennec Shand returns after we saw her on Tatooine, presumably left for dead in season one. But of course, at the, the teaser at the end of that episode was uh, a mysterious figure walking over to her lifeless body. And at the time last year, everyone believed that to be Boba Fett. And of course, now we get that uh, confirmation here in the sixth episode of season two he has brought her along she essentially owes him kind of like a life debt as he helped repair her and gave her kind of a c-3po midsection uh to heal her wounds that were inflicted by uh that really annoying character from uh season one that i can't remember his name he was like my least favorite character in mandalorian's first two seasons uh definitely forgettable but she's along to help out boba fennec and din team up after the Imperial Remnant, led by Moff Gideon, are able to abduct Grogu off of the stone after he finished his uh, force call. Uh, he lays down tired, exhausted. Um, while the trio is fighting off the stormtroopers, Moff Gideon sends out the dark troopers that have just been engaged for the first time to go and capture Grogu, bring him aboard the Imperial ship. And um, that's mostly where the the uh, final part of the episode ends. We do head back to Navarro City, and we see um, th- our heroes talk to Cara Dune about what has happened. And Din mentions needing to spring someone who could be of help to locate the child, and that is one Migs Mayfeld from season one. So, Brian, before we move on to the Mayfeld episode, the the uh, penultimate episode of season two what did you think of chapter 14 the tragedy well like you i saw the title and thought oh boy you know this is not going to be not going to be good um i love this episode uh because you got um just another another classic uh ground war with troopers and cara dune and anytime cara dune is on screen i'm happy uh, so if I remember correctly, it's been a little while, but this is, she was, didn't she like, uh, sort of usurp a, a ground cannon, like a repeating blaster or something and just go to town on the troopers as they piled out of the ship. Right. I think yeah. this was that episode that, well, that was, wow. um, yeah, that was Fennec. Yeah. Yes. Which was, which was, was, oh, it was Fennec. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. They see Kara um, at the end of the episode. She's not on Tython though. That that's Fennec. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, and yeah, this just, it was great, uh, you know, kind of ground battle, that ground battle action. Um, this is definitely, for me, the first time I was really convinced of Grogu's power, right? So before this, you saw him do some classic force stuff, like, you know, he, 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 would, he would move things and, and he would float things and he would move a little the little, you know, guy, guy metal ball around and stuff. And, you know, he clearly had force powers, but it would tucker him out pretty fast. Um, but then he sits on that stone and he, and, and, you know, I don't know if that stone is in anything else that I would know from star Wars lore, but like, I don't know if it, it, if it augments his power or if it channels his power or whatever, but like he creates a field 
communication field so powerful that the, the Mandalorian tries to get through it three times, I think, and can't can't break into it. It pushes him out. I don't know if it's what that is, if it's pure force energy or what, but that's when you really get the sense that like, you know, this little guy is strong with the force. You know, he's 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 got a lot of potential. His M count is is high. Um and it's a really cool display. Yeah, it was really well done. It was an excellent episode. I really enjoyed it. I go back and forth, which is my favorite. Is it the the heiress, the third episode of the season? Is it this one, the sixth episode of the season? Or is it um, either of the last two? Because I really enjoyed this uh, penultimate episode here, chapter, well, it's the, the seventh episode of the second season, chapter 15 overall. Uh, I, it's, it's, a, it's a fun episode. You know, they go back and get... Um, Comedian Bill Burr's Migs Mayfield, they break him out essentially, well, technically legally because, well, Cara Dune is a marshal. She's able to get around things and request prisoners. So she is the one that helps get Mayfield out of his uh, sentence, um, you know, after the Mandalorian threw him and his partners in jail in season one. They're separated and he ends up on this uh basically this junk area where they're just kind of destroying TIE fighters, you know, taking uh, what they can from leftover scraps at a scrapyard. We get another ATAT like crane in the background. Just, it, it's very cool. Um, very cool aesthetic in this one. Um, that, but that episode, I should say the episode of where they introduced Bill Burr's character from season one, that, that episode was to season one, what I thought perhaps chapter 10 was to season two, the one that people were complaining was maybe filler or was a little slow or didn't. When I watched that episode, it was fun, but it didn't really do much to move things along, right? It didn't, yeah. it didn't have much bearing on season one at all. But again, you got to trust you got to trust your world builders and you got to trust the right. Star Wars universe that like you're not watching this just for the sake of watching it, right? And so you need that episode in season one. So whatever it is, seven or eight hours of viewing later, you understand why this guy is one of the only people that can help them in this moment. Right. Or why, again, why he, he, the, the, the Mandalorian goes back into the recess of recesses of his mind. and says, like, you know, I need to be resourceful. How can I figure this out? Right. Who do I know that can do this? So, um, yeah, I mean, and, they and just so set it all up. Payoff, right. So again, it might, chapter 10 might've been slow, but I can almost guarantee you that next season, something from that slow episode of world building is going to matter exceedingly important, right? Just wait till frog lady comes back in season three and it's all coming together. Lady's going to be force attuned or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So yeah, it it all works out and um, it's very cool that they get uh, Mayfeld into this. uh, And um, like you mentioned that, like you said, I think that was episode five or six of the first season chapter five, chapter six, whatever it was also directed by Rick Famuyiwa who directed this episode titled the believer. And, uh, this is of course has to be one of my favorite cause it's very Imperial heavy. Again, you're going to a planet and you're driving on equipment that is related to, I believe the prequels. It's something I think straight out of, if not the prequels, then from rogue one, you know, it's related to the juggernauts. You're seeing those apparel juggernauts hauling, um, some kind of, uh, 
uh, energy source, I believe, Rhydonium, um, which I think is mentioned in either the Clone Wars or Re- maybe it might have been Rebels. So again, just bringing it all together, we get mention of the Imperial Security Bureau, the ISB. Um, we have so many um, famous Imperials that are related to that, um, all the way back to Yularen, who eventually is retconned as being ISB, and obviously Director Krennic from Rogue One is Imperial Security Bureau. So very cool stuff. So they go to Morak. They have to commandeer one of these juggernauts because they need to get into this place to get um, a location of where Grogu is being held. Where is Moff Gideon's cruiser? And they get Mayfeld uh, as an ex-Imperial to do that. And um, we get awesome fight scenes on top of the juggernauts. Din obviously has to take off his helmet multiple times in this episode. Um, so the action is very cool at the beginning of this episode. But where this episode really shines is the second half. Once they get to the Imperial base... And you have Mayfeld and Dejarin walking around trying to get this code. They have this long talk with an Imperial officer that is just absolutely amazing. Because you see what the Empire has done after Return of the Jedi. They bring up, again, ties to the, the new expanded universe, the new canon outside of the films and shows. They talk about Operation Cinder. And Operation Cinder is big in the books and the video games, specifically Battlefront 2. The entire single-person campaign mode is all about Operation Cinder. And it is just absolutely awesome that they bring that in here to The Mandalorian because it's uh, it's some great content. And you see Migs get very upset talking about Operation Cinder and what the Imperial uh, Remnant has done since the uh, the destruction of the second Death Star and the supposed um, obliteration of Emperor Palpatine. Uh, of course, we see Din get his face scanned to get the information he needs, taking off his helmet here. Uh, but that play between Din Mayfeld and the Imperial officer is just exquisite. It's just so well done. Um, the, the, the gentleman they got to play, the Imperial officer, uh, Everyone noted that he didn't have a a British accent, but more of a a, a southern accent. Um, so it made it stand out even more. But their discussion is just I, not going to do it justice. Just talking about it, you definitely have to watch it to witness what happens. And of course, then we get their escape, and with the help of. Uh, the leading ladies, Fennec and Kara, sniping and Boba Fett swooping in with the Slave One. Of course, everyone gets away and the day is saved. They found the location of Grogu and that's where we're going to head off for the season finale. But just a little bow tie on the episode. We get a direct reference to Attack of the Clones where the seismic charge is dropped at the end of the episode from Slave One. Uh, been waiting for it since Slave One made its debut in the previous episode, and we get it right here, and it's absolutely awesome. What did you guys think of Chapter 15, The Believer? Yeah, I, I thought this was a, a great one, and you, and you kind of, I think you appreciate this episode even more after you watch the final episode, because you see how it's setting you up with with din in this case he's taking his helmet off going against what he needs to do to uh for the for the better for the better of the of the of the mission you know he's kind of breaking his his religious rules to um to do what he needs to do for what he feels is right um and i think the conversation that that din has with mayfeld when they're just driving into the compound you you learn a lot about that um and they kind of 
kind of foreshadows the end when he does take his helmet off and, and how, um, you know, Mayfield's arc in that whole thing where he's like, Hey man, as long as you can go to sleep at night, um, you know, uh, then I feel like you, you're, you're doing what you need to be doing as long as you can, can sleep at night. And, uh, and then we see, we see kind of May, Mayfield's arc in that as well, where he blows up, uh, up those, uh, those, uh, those explosives at the end to kind of complete his, his journey with being a former Imperial as well. So, you know, there's so many layers to this episode. And then I think they get even more um, fleshed out in the final episode with Din, but I hope we don't, I hope we see more Mayfeld first of all, because Bill Burr is a, is a great actor in this one who, by the way, has come out to say that, you know, he was always a critique of Star Wars and Star Wars fans before this, I guess. So he would do all these comic acts of, like, how he thought Star Wars was stupid. So he, I guess he said he saw the, um, uh, John Favreau at a party, and John Favreau was like, hey, I wrote this part for you. Will you want to do it? And he's like, I don't know if you know this, but I hate Star Wars and I hate his fans. And he's like, yeah, that's why I wrote it for you. I think it'd be funny to do it. So, And he doesn't really hate star wars he just doesn't really know a lot about it but he was just always like do a comedic bit a bit about the fans and how the fans were super super excited about it and stuff like that and uh so it's kind of funny to see him in this and then shine as as much as he does in this and this show is just amazing i just love his character so much so brian yeah, what do I you think, think about this, it yeah, this episode was i think one of the one of the most powerfully acted of the second series, uh, the second season, um, you know, when you, when you, and, and the tension, uh, there was a lot of interpersonal uh, dynamic in this one. It wasn't as much, uh, I think it was sort of the calm before, before chapter 16, there was plenty of action, but, and a lot of explosions, but what was really fascinating to me was sort of the, the theme of this episode was really about sort of like, wh where do you draw your, your personal moral and ethical boundaries and lines? Right. And like, what do you, what do you do? Like, what, what do you do to stand up for what you, what you believe in? Right. So the Mandalorian and Bill Burr in that truck, uh, whatever it's called, the transport going in, you know, they had their conversation that, that Brent was just referencing, which reminded me of Ghostbusters, like, Egon and and Ray going across the bridge like I love Jesus's style right like talking about uh you know the end times and life and the universe and everything and Ray and Winston they're talking they're talking about um you know but here you have the Mandalorian sitting on the right who is as hardline Amish Mandalorian as you get you know there there are black and white areas in the world you you know those things are are there you know there are clear boundaries and and you don't cross those things and uh, that's that's it. And Bill Burr's character is the ultimate pragmatist. He's he's hey, whatever you got to do to sleep at night, whatever you need to do to make your paycheck, whatever you got to do to to keep you know one step ahead of getting thwarted. That ends justify the ends justifies the means kind of thing. Uh, and then you see that you see that play out right when the Mandalorian has to make his own sacrifices, uh, sacrifice his own ethical code a little bit to take his helmet off in the garrison. To, to stay undercover as long as possible. And Bill Burr has to, has to do the same too, to, uh, you know, he carries, he carries, you, you see, he carries a grudge and he obviously thinks that uh, there are some enduring truths and enduring values and enduring morals that he has to write and he has to rectify it. And so he decides to destroy the base. Right. So um, you, I just really, really love the, the dynamic in this one between the two of them and the way that it, they both had to learn 
um, by the end of the episode. Yeah, it was, it was very, really good. Very was well perfect done. Set up for a, what was an action packed conclusion. This one you got a little bit. This was a little bit more of a pensive episode, I guess I would say. Yeah, a little bit more thoughtful. And I liked it. I think that's spot on. And then we do see them make a decision at the end that they're letting Mayfeld go. Now they're technically stranding him here on the planet, but he is free to go. You know, they're going to mark him as deceased on this mission and he's kind of fulfilled his debt to the new Republic and uh, Kara and crew let him survive. And like Brent mentioned, I hope we get to see him again here in the upcoming season three or season four, because I think he does a really good job. Him, you know, tongue in cheek, hating on Star Wars, mostly disliking the fans and maybe having some contrarian viewpoints as a result of doing it as a comedic act, I think really helped his performance here. I mean, he's a great comedy person. He does really well with uh, ad lib and making it up as he goes. And I think he does. He delivered a, a spot on performance. This was one of my favorite episodes of, of the season. Although I don't think any of these episodes in season two were bad. Um, I, I don't think any episodes in the 16 chapters we've got have been bad. Um, but chapter 15 here ends with him being released and then we get the pretty epic um, response from Din to Moff Gideon, basically saying, I know where you are. I'm coming for something that you have. He gives Moff Gideon's speech from the end of season one directly back to him here at the end of season two. So very cool bookends for um, for those two characters as we build up to chapter 16, The Rescue, eighth and final episode of the second season. Um, we were running long, so we're not going to be able to touch on everything in this episode, but obviously a lot happens here. Brent already mentioned earlier that we get the Slave One just imposing its will, very menacing, overlooking the shuttle as they board to uh, take Dr. Pershing who is attempting to get to where Moff Gideon is so they continue their research on Grogu and uh, his uh, his Force abilities. So they take Dr. Pershing. Uh, he actually kind of helps them, telling him where everything is laid out on the ship. Uh, and then he's gone. We don't see him the rest of the episode. So it'll be interesting to see if he pops up in future seasons because I do like that character as well. The crew then makes uh, a plan and they head towards the uh, Moff Gideon's cruiser, Boba Fett's there with Slave One. Um, he's part of the setup. He heads off once the TIE Fighters come out. They crash the Lambda-class cruiser into Gideon's cruiser. And um, then we're off. Lots of action. Lots of stormtroopers. Very, very cool. Um, you get um, the four ladies kicking ass um, as the diversion, which was just so well done. Uh, you have the return of Casca. Um, played by, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Mercedes Vernado. Um, that's not her stage name, but the, the WWE wrestler, um, she's back as the Mandalorian Casca Reeves. She's there with Bo-Katan, Fennec Shand, and of course, Cara Dune. And the four of them are just perfect diversions as the Mandalorian, as Din makes his way to, um, destroy the dark troopers before, a showdown with Moff Gideon. All that stuff is epic. We get Din's fight with Moff. It lives up to the hype. You, you see how vicious the Dark Troopers can be against most everyone as one of them really gives Din a struggle. Din eventually wins his battle against Moff Gideon and claims the Darksaber, which has huge, huge implications at the end of this episode and the future of the series itself, the direction we could see in seasons three and seasons four. 
but Grogu's rescued. They get back to the bridge with Moff Gideon in hand, and that's where you get kind of this uh, uneasy tension between Din and Bo, because Bo-Katan, we're told that whoever wins the Darksaber is the rightful owner of it, the rightful person to wield it and has become the Mandalore. Din just wants to hand it to Bo-Katan, but she will not take it from him. That must be won in a fight. We don't get any resolution to that, and they kind of leave it there. Bo-Katan's pretty upset about it. Din is just like, I don't want it, take it. But then we get notification that all the dark troopers that Din sent off into space to get rid of them um, out of the airlock, well, they're not human. They survive. They have ways to get back on the ship, and they do. And they come to attack our heroes on the bridge. You're not sure what's going to happen. And then, well, something pretty epic goes down. Uh, Brent, why don't you handle this last part for us? What happens when the notification sound goes off on the bridge that there's an incoming starship? Uh, singular incoming starship. Yes. Um, one X-Wing solo X-Wing comes in. Um, I think when I was watching this again, I, I dropped my daughter off at school that morning. And uh, the first thing I did when I got home was I turned this on and watched this episode. But I was sitting on the couch when this happened. And I was sitting, I like shot up from the couch and was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, prior to this time, we had seen the New Republic. We've seen Dave Filoni's X-Wing, you know, character, pilot character among the other uh, X-Wing, <laughs> X-Wing pilots in New Republic, uh, X-Wing fighters. So it wasn't quite that, that moment where I was like, this, this is it. This is Luke, you know, but in the back of my mind, the entire time I'm watching that episode, I'm thinking to myself, well, this has got to have the inclusion somewhat of a Jedi uh, because of, of Grogu. We know on the seeing stone, having communicated with a Jedi, we're assuming that we, that he did. So I knew that they were going to have to somehow premiere or show a, a Jedi um, in this episode. So the whole time I'm watching it, I'm in the back of my mind. I'm always thinking, well, they haven't showed a Jedi yet. They haven't showed the Jedi yet. And then I saw the X-Wing came in and I go, well, this, are they really going to do it? Are they really going to do this? Is this going to be it? And then we see that the, the fighter, you know, we see it all through that video screen. Um, and then we see just the black and white video screen of a cloaked figure. Then we see a black and white video of, of this cloaked figure with a lightsaber slashing apart the death, tro- death troopers. And then we see, of course, the reveal in the foreground of a, of a black gloved hand with Luke Skywalker's green lightsaber. So we know at that moment that it's 100% Luke Skywalker. We don't know 100% at the time how that what what that presentation of Luke Skywalker is going to be. Is it going to be uh, uh, what's the gentleman's name? They keep wanting to recast um, in that role. Oh, Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan, who I think would be an outstanding Luke Skywalker. And I kind of at this point seeing him in the, in the obviously the younger version just assumed that this was Sebastian Stan. Um, and I was excited at the end that I was like, oh, here we go. He's going to lift his, his hood and we're going to see Sebastian Stan as Luke and how they're going to do it. And then they did it. And of course, it was a, a de-aged or, or um, computer generated modified Luke Skywalker just years after we saw him in Return of the Jedi. And uh, 
I mean, you got chills. I think I was saying they did it. They did it. They did it like out loud when I was watching this, um, not kind of in disbelief and kind of just like, oh, my gosh, it's, the only time I really had that feeling before was when I saw like the end of Rogue One, when we saw the Tantive Four and we saw Leia and we saw we had that during that um, that that movie. We also obviously saw a, a CG version of good of General Tarkin um, of Moff Tarkin. So uh, this is the only time aside from that, that I really felt like, Oh my gosh, they did it. I have to watch it again. Um, and I did write a watch it immediately, which is one nice thing about the television show now is that I don't have to wait uh, a week to go back to the theater or a few days to go back to the theater. I could literally just turn it on again on my phone as I'm getting ready to do work that day. And I could watch it again, watch it again. I watched that season, that, that section of the, of the episode in loop multiple times, but I thought that it was brilliantly and artistically done. Um, I thought it was amazing that they, they had it that way. So, um, can you guys still hear me? Yeah, it's really well. Done. Okay. Sorry. It's like my video froze, but I'll pass it on to you guys. Yeah, no, it was really, really well done. Um, Brian, what do you have to add? Well, not much to that description It's a perfect description. Uh, I, I just, just to agree that, uh, the way they trickled out the details were so was so artfully done. I mean that the ten seconds or less where the elevate there's a you know he gets on an elevator and he has to come up to the floor where they're where they're kind of hold up on the bridge and like he has to um you know rise up that elevator. It's like it was like the longest ten seconds of my life, like waiting for that elevator to reach the top floor so that you the the Jedi character would come out who you you, you want to believe is Luke. Because you've seen, you know, the X-Wing, you've seen at that point, the green saber, you've seen the hand, you've seen the glove, you've seen, but you just, you need to see us, you need to see the face, right? You just need to see it. And um, it was, it was, it was just amazing. Uh, I was hoarse the next day from yelling at the TV. My wife and I watched it together and we were just, you know, yelling at the TV. Uh, it's kind of like a one-two punch because you aren't expecting necessarily the, uh, the character to make an appearance, right? Uh, again, all the way back to the beginning of this episode, saying like they really can play with any character they want from the from the the, the canon, which is awesome. So you don't really expect the, the character to make an appearance. But then on top of that, the visual is just absolutely stunning. You know, it's just incredible how um, lifelike this uh, de-aged CG representation of of, of Luke is Mark Hamill after, you know, what he would look like a couple of years after Return of the Jedi, right? Just unbelievable. Um, so you're kind of responding to the character being present and then responding to uh, the, the visual. Um, and it, it's just, it, you know, what a moment. It's just such a, such a reward for everybody who's watched the first, whatever, 16 hours of this thing. It's just great. Yeah, it was really well done, and I'm having some video issues here. Too much uh, taxing overload um, for the the video uh, after as we get to an hour and a half um, broadcast. So we're gonna wrap things up here. I don't want to lose the audio portion, so we're just gonna power through here and get done with these last few minutes. But yeah, just great overview from Brent, and I completely agree with both of you. I I, I just had this natural progression wondering you know are we going to see a bunch of our characters die here as the dark troopers 
uh, attack them and then those alarm sounds and they talk about a single X-Wing. And I'm thinking, I was like, well, is this going to be Trapper Wolf? You know, we're going to see Dave Filoni, but what is him and one X-Wing going to do in terms of taking out these dark troopers and, and helping them. And I'm like, well, one X wing, you know, it could be Luke. And I'm like, no, they're not, they can't do Luke. Right. It's not going to be Luke. And then, um, you, you see the Jedi in the hallway and it's just like, well, I mean, that very much could be Luke. And then you see that it's green and you see the glove and I'm still like, they're not doing this right. Just in denial the entire time. There's no way this is Luke. No way. This is Luke. No way. This is Luke. And, like basically by the time he gets up there and destroying all the dark troopers, you know, it's Luke, but then it's like, well, is this going to be Mark Hamill and they're going to have de-aged him or are they going to have put, you know, prosthetics and makeup on him? Is it just going to be a bottle body double and they're not going to show what's under the hood? They're not even going to say that it's Luke. You're not going to know you think it's him. You're 99% sure it's him, but they're not going to show his face. And then they open the doors and he throws down that hood and you're like, nope. That is a de-aged Mark Hamill, and that is new lines recorded by Mark Hamill, and oh my god, they did it. There is Luke Skywalker on my screen in 2020 to end season two of The Mandalorian. They did what all of us wanted them to do, but said no way would this happen. This is not happening. It's got to be Luke, but they won't do it. They will not do that, and they did it. And that is just everyone, just, you know, it's a... Standing ovation, round of applause for uh, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and everyone at Disney and Lucasfilm that allowed them to do this because it's what everyone wanted. And they actually did it. They actually gave it to us. It was awesome. It was epic. And it sets up such an intriguing tales to continue not only The Mandalorian, but all these other shows that they're doing in this time period. Could they do more with Luke and Grogu? It's just, there's so much on the table, and I absolutely love it. It was so well done. I rewatched the, that episode a few times. I've rewatched those last 15 minutes over and over and over again. Um, and I really do think we need to wrap up, but we can't not mention the closing credits after the credits rolled. They had a little bit of a surprise in store for us. Nothing related directly to the Mandalorian, Luke, or Grogu, but we get to see um, a character that was at the beginning of the episode return, and that would be Boba Fett, who disappeared on the Slave One, but then reappears here at the end. Not only is he back, but he is back on Tatooine, walking down the steps of Jabba's palace, and we get to see some of the characters that apparently survived in Return of the Jedi, the Kitana explosion, including um, his right-hand man himself, Bib Fortuna, who's looking very Jabba-esque, welcomes uh, Fennec Shand back first, who is uh, apparently now Boba Fett's right-hand lady, um, before Boba Fett just immediately offs Bib Fortuna Chases, kills a whole bunch of people, chases the slaves away, and, well, he takes up the mantle on Jabba's dais, and uh, we get the uh, Book of Boba Fett. And a lot of discussion happened as, oh, is that going to be season three of The Mandalorian? And a lot of people thought that. I think Brent and I both thought that the Book of Boba Fett yeah. was going to be the next part of The Mandalorian. That's, that's kind of what I still want to be the case. But, but it's not. It's, they already announced. Yeah. Nope. Different show. Book of Boba yeah, Fett coming yeah, December 2021. Yeah. yeah the first, it would be like the Book of Din Djarin. Right. Now we know it's called the Book of Din Djarin with these, with these 18 or 16 chapters. And then it'd be like the book of Boba Fett and then the book of Bo-Katan and the book, you know, like that would be the way I thought it was going to be going to play out. That's how I thought too. Right. I kind of wanted that. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but whatever. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> Yeah, Give I'm me not, more. I'm not fine. gonna. Yeah, I'll I'm not gonna more. be mad about more. So it'll be interesting to see if we don't get anything until the book of Boba Fett next. They said Christmas 2021, you know, December 2021. Um, does that mean Mandalorian season three is gonna be you know late winter, early spring 2022? When do the other new shows, Ahsoka and um, Rangers of the New Republic, both set in the Mandalorian time frame? When are those going to debut? Are we going to get all four of those between like October and March uh, a year from now? Uh, are they going to overlap at all? I mean, I know, I'm sure their stories will overlap, but will the broadcast of them overlap? Or are we just going to go, you know, six to eight chapters here, a week or two break, the next series rolls off? Because then the year after that, you're talking about getting Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're get, talking about getting Andor. You know, all this stuff is coming at us um, in the next uh, year to 18 months. And I'm, I'm here my, for it. It's amazing. My, my, my hope is that we'll, we'll have a point of time where we'll never have to wait for Star Wars. That there's always going to be something happening every single week with an episode. And sometimes there'll be multiple seasons that overlap. Sometimes there'll just be one that butts up against the other. But my hope is that that we'll we'll, we'll eventually live in a world where we'll have Star Wars shows or, or, or movies every week of every week in some fashion. Sounds good to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, that was our recap of season two of The Mandalorian. I appreciate everyone that hung in there. And uh, sorry to those that may have been watching the video. We we lost our last five, ten minutes here. But we got through pretty much everything. Of course, the most epic part of season two got cut out. But, you know, that's the way uh, that's the way it works sometimes. But if you're listening to our podcast, we appreciate you uh, joining in. And if you haven't seen um, Mandalorian season two, one, why are you listening to this? Uh, but two, go <laughs> go and uh, watch it right now. It's uh, it's amazing. And there's so much Star Wars on the horizon. We just barely touched the surface of some of the new shows coming out. And there's a new movie coming out by directed and written by Patty Jenkins of Wonder Woman fame. Um, all about Rogue Squadron. So a lot of awesome stuff coming from Disney, Lucasfilm, and Star Wars. And uh, we will be here for it. Hopefully, in you know, in the next month or two, we can hop back on and talk about some of those other shows we didn't get to touch on this afternoon. But uh, Brian, Brent, any closing thoughts on Star Wars or The Mandalorian? Nope. See you in 2021. That's right. This draws 2020 to a conclusion from all the offerings at JMNJR Radio. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in, whether it's for sports or Star Wars. Uh, I thank you very much. Uh, Brian, Brent, appreciate you joining me uh, this afternoon uh, between the holidays. And hopefully we can get together for episode 15 sometime in early 2021. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks again to listening to Tangents with Friends. And like we just said, we'll be back again sometime early next year. For Brian, Brent, and everyone at JMNJR Radio, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Tangents with Friends. You can find more episodes at jmnjrradio.com. And if you do want to hear about sports, tune into the Joe Mays and J-Raff show live every Sunday.